Yeah, a, a lot of people in Hollywood judged us. And you know, at the end of the day, man, it's just life. It is what it is. They judged us. They judged the shit out of us, though. Um, they looked at the lyrics. They um, thought about the, the, the name, 3-6 Mafia. They called us devil worshipers. And when we was out there trying to um, rehearse at the time, all these people from ABC walked in. It was like, could have been like 30 people. And it was just like writing down stuff. Everything we did, they wrote it down. I did the microphone like this. Did like, like this. Wa watching you to make sure there you didn't make any like false moves. Watching you the whole time you were at the ceremony. They were so nervous, man. They were so nervous. Like yeah, man, uh, they kept saying, "Don't cuss, don't cuss." Are you serious? And even even well, even though we didn't cuss, they still bleeped us out because they thought we cussed. But you know, like I said, man, we professional. We, we came in professional. You know what I'm saying? We came in ready, ready to rock the house. <laughs> First rap group ever performing at the Oscars. Hey, what's up, beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Allison Interviews podcast. On this episode, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Academy Award winning, American Music Award winning, Grammy nominated producer and artist Juicy J. I will admit, since I am like a total 90s hip hop head, I really have not been dialed into a lot of the rap music scene of recent years and I really didn't know too much about Juicy J. Like I knew some of his more mainstream music, but I didn't know too much about him other than that famous moment when 3-6 Mafia won the Oscar uh, in 2006 for their, their song from the movie Hustle and Flow. That was such a landmark pop culture moment. So when this interview came up, I was excited to get Juicy's memoir it's called Chronicles of the Juice Man. It was written by Juicy and his co-writer, Soren Baker, which, by the way, I think it's so cool that he hired Soren Baker to co-write the book with him because Soren was the first national journalist to ever cover. I don't know if he was the first one to ever cover 3-6 Mafia or Juicy J. I'm not sure. But I thought it was really cool of him to bring him on board to collab on this book as just a thank you for just being, I guess, that first breakthrough article. And that really does speak of Juicy's character. You know, when I when I was preparing for this interview, I listened to a lot of his music and I listened to a lot of the lyrics and I was like, oh my goodness me, what am I going to do with this? Because it was just so, so explicit and a little bit controversial in how, in, in its depiction of women and, and sex and everything like that. So I was like, okay. Let me keep an open mind. And I I read his book and I have to say, like, I just fell in love with him as a human being. I've read hundreds of memoirs in my life and in my career. And, you know, a lot of it because I love memoirs, but a lot of it for work. And his book, Chronicles of the Juice Man, is one of my favorites of all time, probably at least top 20, if not top 10. And uh, I think people will be really surprised at the depth in this book. He really lays his entire story bare, the good, the bad, the painful, the fun, um, just just everything. And he's also a master manifester, which I really respect about him. And when we spoke, I asked a lot of questions about his music, about his lyrics, about the way he depicts certain things in his music. And the, the answers that he gave me, it really, it made sense. You know, it's like, make it make sense. It made sense. 
when you learn about his life story and all of the layers that are involved and you understand where he's coming from, you know, what he's been through as a person and also what he's accomplished. I have great respect for this man. And we had a good time. It was it was it was a great interview. So I'm not going to say too much other than go out and get yourself a copy of Juicy's book, Chronicles of the Juice Man. If you're a fan of his, you're going to absolutely love this book because you're going to learn things about him that you've never known before. And it's it's really layered and amazing. And if, if you're not, that's my dog in the background. If you're not, because like I said, I didn't know much about him and I read this book and it was a fantastic read and I couldn't put it down. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation between me and Juicy J. So I'm going to start with a question that I ask everybody. What are three landmark life events that have made you the person that you are today? Three events, things that happened to me in my life, which is in, I would say reading music books. As when I was a young kid, I read a lot of music books. Um, right. I would say advice from my parents, my mom and my dad, mm-hmm. and praying, praying to God, and praying. Okay, how do you pray, or how did you pray? How did I pray? Yeah, every day, kneeling down, walking. I'm praying. I could be okay. talking to somebody, and be saying a prayer, you know, in my head. Yeah, all times. By the way, I've read hundreds of memoirs. I'm, I'm holding your, your book right here. This is honestly one of the best ones I've ever read. I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah. I think people will be really surprised at the depth and the kind of the insight and reflection that you display in the book. Thank you. Wow. Um, you, when I was reading about your early life in North Memphis, the way that you made it sound was like every single day was kind of a fight for survival and not just a fight for survival, but a fight to stay out of the criminal justice system. The way that it came across to me as the reader is almost like being sucked into quicksand on a regular basis. And that that sounds exhausting, like, honestly. I mean, is that what it felt like for you? Every day, every day life. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. We had some good times too. Yeah, but you know, just just that neighborhood and the, and the and the people I was around, those good times could turn bad at any time. Mm-hmm. Something good going on, all of a sudden, by the blink of an eye, things can go left. So, what? It, how did your like? Were your parents aware that that was you and your brother and your sister's experience on a daily basis, or were they just so caught up in, I guess, surviving themselves that they weren't really? dialed into to like your experience well say a little bit of both i mean they you know we stayed together so they, they definitely knew what was going on but a lot of things that uh you know i was going through the streets and trying to sell drugs here and there, i kept that on the low we kept all of that stuff on the low so okay. just like i said a little bit of both okay your brother project pat said something really interesting on vlad tv mm-hmm. he said that in the neighborhood where you guys grew up a lot of people looked up to you, both of you, I guess, but he was talking about him specifically because you had a present father and almost nobody else did. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. It's like that in the hood. Fathers weren't around. Very right. rare. 
you know, to see a whole full family together. It's always with the mom or the kids were staying with the grandma or, or auntie or something like that. So, yeah. You know, what's interesting is that I pulled a quote from the book where you said, I would always tell my mom, I've got to get ready because I'm going to be a big music producer. I'm going to have a big house. I'm going to have a lot of money. I'm going to have a couple of girlfriends, not a girlfriend, but a couple of girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is that you didn't say, I hope that I have this or I wish I could have this. You said, I'm going to have this. Yes. And what's so interesting to me about that is that everybody that I interview, no matter how, whether they're in sports, music, film, tele, like whatever it is, health, they all have the same thing in common. And that is that they all were able to believe in a vision before it actually materialized in the physical world. Yeah, I was very confident in um, focus, you know, uh, to mm -hmm. make it. I, I knew I, I knew it was going to happen. I just you knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. So explain to me what that is, like the difference between wanting it to happen and knowing that it's going to happen. What gave you that sense of knowing? You know, I was always, I, you know, I was very growing up just in a very religious family. And uh, I just felt like I was a prophet. You know, I knew when things were going to happen and I knew I was going to be this. It's kind of hard to explain, you know, in so many words, but yeah, my mom would tell me uh, all the time. I didn't know what what the hell you were talking about. And I was just like, this is going to happen. Right. You know, that's just that's, that's kind of where my heart was that I knew what I wanted to do in life. And that was it. It's like music. That was it. Did your brother ever thank you and say, you know what, I have to thank you. If it wasn't for you, I would not be like where I am today. I don't know where I would be. God, you know, who knows? But like, has he ever thanked you for that? Oh, yes. Lots of times. Yeah. So I want to talk about in 2006 when 3-6 Mafia won the Oscar for Best Original Song. Yes. You, you describe it a very strange experience in the book. You say that. You came off stage and I guess Gail King was standing backstage to interview you when you when you came off the stage and she said out loud, this is a sad day. Yeah. Like out loud in front of you before she started interviewing you. And it's interesting because my first thought was, okay, why would she do that? And I was thinking, I'm like, why would she do that? Why would she do that? And the only thing that I can come up with and tell me what your thoughts are is that she took umbrage with some of your lyrics about women and it bothered her that you were being elevated for that. Not specifically that song, not It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp, but just like your whole your whole body of work, right? Yeah, a lot of people in Hollywood judged us. And you know, at the end of the day, man, it's just life. It is what it is. They judged us. They judged the shit out of us, though. Um, they looked at the lyrics. They... Um, Thought about the, the, the name, 3-6 Mafia. They call us devil worshipers. And when we was out there trying to um, rehearse at the time, all these people from ABC walked in. It was like, could have been like 30 people. And it was just like writing down stuff. Everything we did, it wrote it down. We, I did the microphone like this. I did like, like this. Like, while, like watching you to make sure there, you didn't make any like false moves, watching you the whole time you were at the ceremony. They were so nervous, man. They were so nervous. Like, yeah, man, they kept saying, don't cuss, don't cuss. Are you serious? And even, even well, even though we didn't cuss, they still bleeped us out because they thought we cussed. 
But, you know, like I said, man, we professional. We, we came in professional. You know what I'm saying? We came in ready ready to rock the house. <laughs> First rap group ever performing at the Austin's. We yeah. were super excited. We came in. We was focused. We didn't come in all high and drugged up. You know what I mean? We wasn't on. Even though the stuff we talked about, we came in with the suits on, so professional. We came in on time. And I ain't gonna lie, the producers and a lot of people behind the scenes was loving it. It was like, man, you guys are really cool, man. You know, I thought you guys were gonna be some crazy rap group coming in with guns out, but you guys are really professional and smart, you know, at, at that young age. It's like, man, you guys are smart and cool. Everybody loved us, you know what I'm saying? So I can understand why people would, you know, Gail and other people would be like, what the fuck? You know, three six mafia. I mean, I get it. You know, if I was on the, you know, if I was her, I would be like, three six mafia sipping on some, you know, like. You yeah. guys talk about all these drugs, hard out here for a pimp. Like, what the hell is this? You know, at this right. big, this big Academy Awards, uh, you know, show. So, you know, it scared a lot of people. They didn't know us personally. Like, I think if if, if a lot of people would have said that, set us down and interviewed us and just talked to us, I just had dinner, or lunch, or something, just like, or have a drink or something, just some, just just have a conversation and get yeah. to know us. They've been like, oh man, these guys are really actually, you know, they own their own publishing, they own all their masters. That you know, we we did everything. We did the management. You know, we was the managers. We did the managers. We booked the shows. They didn't. A lot of people didn't know that. They didn't just thought we were just some crazy drugged up rap group. Which we was. You know, we did what we did. You know, don't get me wrong. We we did what we did. But at the end of the day, we was very very professional about our business. When it came to stuff like the Academy Awards, the BET Awards, any award show or any ceremony where we had to, you know, we know how to turn it on and turn it off. You know what I mean? Right. Of course. Yeah. But you said something else interesting. You said. You said black people did, were not happy for us and white people were happy and excited for us. Yes, it was a lot of black yeah. actors. But what the fuck? Like, what, what, what do you think? Like, what was that about? You know what? I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and it was kind of like my I've been to California a little bit, but I've never been around actors like that. So I was just like, what the? You know, I was, and I was asking John Singleton. I was like, man, these people hating on us like crazy. And John Singleton even said himself, he's like, you feel the hate? You feel the hate? He said, don't worry about it, man. They just mad because they ain't got one. And I was like, damn. Right. You know what I mean? And it was a lot of mugs. I mean, a lot of mean mugs. I walked into the Vanity Fair party. It was just a lot of black actors and mm-hmm. actresses. Mean mugs, like, mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> you know, and then Steven Spielberg was like, congratulations. John Travolta was like, congratulations. Right, right. I was like, and, and Will Smith was, was, not, was not a happy camper. Will Smith, by the way, is who they who they should have been monitoring at the Oscars and not you. Hey man, what he did is what he did, but you know, it, he yeah. just he 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 ran up. He was like, man, I'm just mad because y'all y'all got one before me. Right, right, right. Man, he could have been a joke, you know what I'm saying? But like I said, I didn't I don't know him. I grew up listening. First of all, when I seen him, I was like, man, I grew up listening to your music, man. It's an honor to meet you. And you know, he shook my hand out, but he was like, man, what the hell? I'm just yeah. Y'all got one before me, man. You know what I'm saying? And it, like, like I said, he, he could have been joking. He a comedian too. But I didn't take it like that because I'm thinking like people are going to be like, congratulations, because he didn't say that. You see what I'm saying? John Travolta walked up to me. He said, congratulations. Steven Spielberg said, congratulations. Um, George Clooney, which he had won one. He said, congratulations. Like a lot of those actors was like, congratulations. Nobody black walked up to me and said, congratulations that I can remember. It maybe was, but I mean, like a lot of that stuff was just kind of weird that night. I was just like, damn, this is weird. That is said, maybe this is what Hollywood is all about. But, you know, I, I don't let things get me down because, you know, 3-6 Mafia as a group as, as a coming up, we always been against all odds. We always had doors slammed in our faces. We always had, always had people saying, oh, don't mess with those guys. They're devil worshipers and all that stuff. So yeah. I was used to it. I was used to it. But, uh, you know, whatever. 
you know? So here's an interesting thing that I think in 2000, I think it was in 2003, wasn't Eminem the first rap artist to win an Oscar for best original song? Yes. Okay. So do you kind of feel like he broke that glass ceiling for you guys to even be able to be nominated, like to even be in that conversation to be nominated for an Oscar? I would say yes. You know what I'm saying? You know, he, he when when he won, maybe some people was like, okay, rap ain't all that bad as it is. You know what I mean? It's actually good for film. You know, it's good to be nominated for film. You know, his song actually has something. It was a song for the movie. It's an original song. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I can't say exactly what people behind the scenes, what they want for their movies or what, how they looking at things, but we wrote the song for the movie. Yeah. We want it. So, I mean, like, it is did what he, it is. He ever, did he reach out to you and congratulate you at all because you had that in common? No, no, I never heard. I never Are you serious? That's surprising to me. I, I, I don't know him personally, you know what I'm saying? Okay. You also made a statement that people came up to you after you won and said, hey, I can hook you up with my doctor. He'll get you anything you want. People started offering you drugs. Do you feel like there's an agenda in Hollywood or an agenda within the music industry to get artists hooked on drugs? Well, I mean, I don't think it's like trying to, nobody was like trying to get me hooked on drugs. I mean, you know, I think Folks just like, hey, you want some weed? You guys looking for anything? You know, when you go to parties, people just ask you, man, you want to drink? You know, you want some weed? You want Coke? You know, I would go to a lot of these Hollywood parties and they'd just be offering me. Like, I went to this Hollywood party. This guy had this wood grain box. You know, he's walking around with this wood grain box. He's like this, right? Like a waiter. So yeah, I'm thinking like a drink or something. He, he puts it in my face. You want some Coke? You know what I mean? I'm looking like, what the fuck? You know, I've never seen nothing like this. I'm from Memphis. I never seen nothing like this. Like nobody walking around with a you know a tie and they hair slicked back and all nice dressed up like they at a restaurant. Like you know, like they bring drinks. <laughs> and then the cocaine was like watermelon coke and cherry coke and blueberry coke. And I was like, how the hell y'all mix the coke with the flavor? Like, how do y'all? What do y'all? What kind of coke is this? <laughs> right, it's normalized. I didn't, I didn't yeah. touch it. I was like, oh, I'm not getting that cocaine, man. You know what I'm saying? No, by, sir. By the way. I read in the book, I didn't know anything about the story of Len Bias until I read your book. Yes. So as soon as I finished your book, I actually watched a couple of nights ago a documentary on Len Bias mm-hmm. and seeing what a phenomenal basketball player he was. And then that moment in the documentary where you see him getting his Boston Celtics jersey, he's the number one draft pick. They're saying he's going to rival Michael Jordan. He's one of the greatest players to ever live. Two days after being drafted, dies from complications from cocaine. It's like probably one of the most tragic stories I've ever seen in my life. And um, yeah, I'm bringing it up for people who won't know when they when they watch or listen to this, that that's what kept you away from cocaine and from hard drugs throughout your career. That's the main reason. I yeah. seen that young and I was like, I ain't never doing, I didn't know what it was. I was like, cocaine. Yeah. I'm like, what? It's not, what? Like, I, I told myself that day as I was watching the TV, I said, I would never do cocaine, whatever that shit is. And yeah. then, you know, people started offering me coke, you know, as I was growing up in Memphis, I would never touch it. I told that story to my son. He's a basketball player. We were riding home yesterday and uh, he knows every basketball player that's ever lived. And I told him that story and I'm hoping that it, you know, 
it stays it stays in his head. So I I think it's it's a really powerful story, and I'm glad that it's in your book. I think it'll really resonate with a lot of people for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's what I was trying to do: inspire people and let them know that life is not always glitter and glam. You know, mm-hmm. in this music business or just any kind of business where you you're on the spotlight, it's like a it's like a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. That's what I get from it. Yeah, a lot of stress. what what are the downsides? Like it's interesting because you said when you met your wife, one of the things that made you fall in love with her is that you felt safe. Like you felt like you could trust her. You you felt safe, and I got the feeling that that was the first time you'd felt that way in a really really long time, if ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cause uh, and I, you know I talk about it in the book as well. Like I had this girlfriend of mine. She set me up. She drugged me, and mm-hmm. uh, you know. Cause I mean, I would say she did because I, I fell asleep and I had never slept that long. I was like, damn, I had never slept. Like I felt like I, I blacked out and I woke up, all my money was going out of my pockets, <laughs> you know, and my, my car, my, my tires were on flat. And mm-hmm. she was like, well, what happened? I was like, how did, how, why is all my money? I'm in your house. Yeah. You're, I'm in your bedroom. It's her, it's her house, her bedroom and all my money's gone. Oh, I didn't take your money. Who took my money? You right. know what I mean? And you think you always think about that happening to women. We don't often think about something like that happening to men. Yeah, it happens, man. In this business, you can't let no, like when I go to clubs, I do not, they bring me out some bottles. If anything's open, ever since then, I would never drink out of an open bottle. Anybody got an open bottle, I'm not drinking. Same. Watching my drinks, watching everything that I do, watching my food. Like I'm, you know, I'm on some paranoia. I'm looking over my shoulder. Like that, that taught me a lesson. You never forget that. that ha- it happened to me in Mexico. Mm. It happened to me in Mexico. I was at a bar and we're with a bunch of girls, a bunch of guys, and someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, your drink is at the bar. And I didn't even drink. I was like, everyone's like, come on, we're in Cancun, have one drink. I'm like, okay, I'll get a Bacardi and Coke, whatever. And because I didn't watch the person hand me the drink, I took a few sips. The room started spinning. And yeah, it was, yeah. And, and I never drank again. Like I never drank alcohol again after that. That was it for me. Done. One and done. Sorry, so and it never well, nothing like nothing happened to me because I knew to go back to my hotel room and lock myself in my in my room. But and then I flew out the next morning. I was like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Never went back to Mexico. <laughs> never and never had a drink again. That that was the end for me. Um so I want to talk about Mac Miller. You tell a story about being in the studio with him and him offering you cocaine and then him calling you up the next day and apologizing for offering it to you, saying, I, I didn't know that you didn't do that. I'm sorry. And a, a month later, he was he was gone. And you say that you wish that you would have said something, anything, like that maybe it would have put a bug in his ear to to stop or to think about stopping. Like if, if you could go back to that moment, what would you say to him? You know, we was in the studio and he had a, he had a party pack. I don't know if you do, you know what a party pack is? You said he had a, you had a, he had a bunch of different drugs, like in a box or something. Yeah. They call it, I mean, sometimes they put it in a bag and you put it in a box. It's called a party pack. It's like every kind of drug you could, you know, take and and it's in a pack or, you know, a box or whatever. So Mm -hmm. he pulls out this box. He pops a couple of things and and he offered me some coke. And uh, if, I could, if I could go back to the hands of time, I would have snatched that box. And I know he probably would have tried to, <laughs> to fight me, but 
I would have snatched that box and I would have I would have put it in. I would have took that box and dumped it in the toilet and flushed it because I knew Mac Miller when he was like seventeen. You know, I, I threw his first 18th birthday party at my studio. He turned eighteen. I threw him a party in my studio, and um, he's like a little brother to me. And uh, I just hated him. I hated to see him do that. You know, he, he was a he was like around 25, 26, you know, uh, before he passed. So, yeah. you know, he's a grown-ass man. So I just seen what he was doing. I didn't say anything. I just like, nah, I'm cool, bro. You know, I'm straight. Let's, you know, let's finish the music. But I wish I could have. I could, I swear if I could turn back the hands of time, I was I snatched that box, man. Throw that box across the street somewhere and say, bro, look, you know what? Get mad if you want, but I love you, bro. You know what I'm saying? I want to see you, you know, I want to see you alive. You know what I'm saying? Let's yeah. talk. Like, I, let, let me tell you some stories about my drug usage. Let me tell you some stories about, you know, growing up in 3-6 Mafia and the whole Memphis scene and what I went through and, you know, how, how things can turn up if you do the wrong drug or you do overdose or whatever. You know, I wish I could, man. Yeah. And yeah. then Gangsta Boo, who was part of 3-6 Mafia, she also died from complications from cocaine. Mm-hmm. And you said the same thing, that the last time you saw her, you didn't really get into it, but that you kind of wish that you would have said something, done something. You you carry the weight of a lot of people's, I guess, downfalls or demise on your shoulder. You feel yeah. survivor's guilt. Yeah, it tore me up. I ain't gonna lie. I'm still tore up. I'm tore about everything, you know. Um, you know, I saw that. I saw her a few, like maybe almost like a month before she passed. Could have been a month or some weeks. We did a show together. What have I said in the book? But uh, it was very close. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, she was really, really high. She was very high. I, you know, everybody could see it. I saw it. And, I, you know, like I said, I know I know Gacy. I've been knowing Gacy Boo all my life. So pretty much all my life, you know, since I was like 20, 21. And mm-hmm. I knew, you know, I, I know I know the coke face. You know what I mean? I know the, you know, I could tell if somebody's on cocaine. Right, so, right. So, um, you know, yeah, I hated to see her like that because, you know, we, we older now. You know what I'm saying? And I think she's in her 40s. And I was I hated to see that because I know she had been doing it since she was like, a you know, she'd been doing it at a young, young age. She was doing cocaine. I mean, could have been like 17 years old when she was doing it. And um, I hated to see her like that. I mean, like, it, it killed me because it, it took me back, maybe kind of rewind. I felt like I, I was in a time machine going back in the 90s when I, was, when I used to see Gangsta Bull and Coke. And I used to, you know, when she was in the group, oh, I used to get on her ass. I see on some cocaine. I'd be like, I'd like, throw that shit away. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right. Immediately. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I wish I could have talked to her, though, you know, because we had a great conversation about life and everything. And uh, she was talking about, you know, my mom and my mom passed and stuff like that. And she was like, man, you know, I saw you at the show, Juicy, and I know you was going through a lot of pain, man. And that's why I gave you that hug, man. Like, man, you're a strong black man. She was just telling me, you strong, man, you know, to be performing. You know, your mom had just passed, you know, like you, you know, was, and I was like, yeah, it was tough. I was crying. I was really hurt inside. I was I didn't know what to do. I was, I really, I was losing my mind. Man. I was just so, so, so messed up. I was drinking every day and just trying to do anything I do, do anything I could possibly do to cope with not mm-hmm. thinking about it. But uh, yeah, she, we talked about that. So yeah, rest in peace, Gangsta Boo. It was terrible. And I, I, you know, yeah. And by the way, my condolences about, about your mom. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. Yeah. I want to address women with you, if, if that's okay. okay. If that's yes, okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you had a very close relationship with your mom. You had quite a lot of respect for her. You, you, you're married. You have a daughter in addition to a son. 
so I listened to a lot of your lyrics, like a lot of the, a lot of your songs. I knew like the party songs, you know, I knew I knew the beat and everything, but I listened to a lot of the lyrics of a lot of the more hardcore stuff and I'm listening to it and I'm like, I'm trying to process it. And I'm like, how do I, how do I broach this subject? Right. Because I've all, I've always had like a strong sensitivity to misogyny and to, women being, I guess, put down or called derogatory names or, but I want to try to understand, like, I don't want to come at it from a judgmental perspective. I want to try to understand, like, is it when, when you, and I guess even other artists that you work with, when you're writing those kinds of lyrics, right? Is it like, is it a character to you or is it another side of your personality or are you expressing something that you saw that you've seen in your life? And so you're like, telling stories about the kind of people that you've seen and you've dealt with, like where is that coming from? And is it a reflection of how you view women as a whole? I would say, I I don't, you know, as far as a reflection of how I view women as a whole, no, I would say, no, no, that's not true. But a lot of things in my life that I rapped about is a lot of stuff I went through and and stuff I've seen in my neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Okay. There was a lot of stuff going on. It was crazy in North Memphis. It depends on what you're talking about. You have to give me a line. Like, hey, on this song, you said that, 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 that. I can say, oh, the reason why I wrote that lyric is because, boom, you know what I'm saying? So I need, like, you had any. You okay, had any so I'm there. not. So these are like referring to women as bitches, as hoes, like sexually graphic lyrics. It paints a picture in my mind's eye of women being little more than decorative objects and sexual objects as opposed to like full human beings, right? So yeah. I'm I'm trying to understand like what your perspective is and like what how you see it. How I'm trying to see it through your eyes, right? Okay. Well, for instance, like that chick I told you I was it was my girlfriend, right? This chick I was talking to. She robbed me. She she drugged me and she robbed me and then not funny at all. Outside. I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's just pretty scary. And I walk outside and my my all four of my tires on my car was flat. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, but they didn't cut the tires. They just let the air out. Didn't understand. I didn't get it. It was just like, okay, you're going to take all my stuff. You're going to rob me. You drug me. And, and you put my tires on flat. Mm-hmm. That was ratchet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. That, that was like, oh, this, this bitch is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Let me get out of here quickly. You know? Yeah. So I got on the phone and I got the hell out of there. I never called her again. She's like, oh, you think? And then she texted me. Well, she didn't, they didn't have texts back then. And she called me. And it's like, oh, you think I robbed you? You know, I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. It could have been my brother. Or so. I was like, what? It could have been your brother. Like, you didn't say that back at the house. You just said you didn't know what happened. Right. So, you know, saying that experience was like very, very bad for me. So I left that alone. I was like, man, forget that chick. You know what I'm saying? She, I ain't trying to talk to her no more. So, you know, and I've been through a lot of little crazy situations What I had, you know, some other people that try to, girls try to set me up, you know, hey, he coming over here right now, robbing us, you know? Like I, you know, it's been like a few other situations that I've been involved in. So, you know, like a lot of, a lot of times, like I say, like I need to know what lyric, if I'm talking about a certain song and and then, you know, that's just, I mean, that's, quite, quite frankly, it would sound weird coming out of my mouth. I'm not gonna, Okay. Know. All right. But like, you know, like I said, that's those, those songs, you know, those songs come from, from the, some experiences I, I've had in my lifetime. Okay. okay. You know, that's what I rap about is rap about a lot of my experiences. Understood. Yeah. And how come you broke up with your wife, Regina, if you thought that she was really like the one? Why did you guys break up before you ultimately got back together? We just, you know, we just on different pages. You know, I was on one page and she was on another page. So, you know, you know how things go. You know, you yeah. 
you know, lovers be in love and then they just be like, oh, forget him. And I'd be like, okay, all right. So, yeah. And, okay. Uh, I move back. I got you. Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing serious though, like that though. Okay. And there's something else you talk about that I thought was was interesting. You say that very early in your career, you actually called yourself Notorious Juicy J. And you, yes. you sampled the song Juicy Fruit on one of your mixtapes, right? And then it was like, that was before Notorious B.I.G. broke yeah. and came on the scene. So you thought like, well, even though I'm thinking that I'm just known in Memphis, maybe he got wind of what I was doing and he kind of poached some of my ideas, but did it ever occur to you that it was Sean Combs that actually heard it? Did he? I mean, yeah, yeah. He actually heard my my tape. No, 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 no. What I'm saying okay. to you is, you you okay. suspected that it was Notorious Big okay. that yeah, heard yeah, it, yeah. but I'm okay. thinking what went through my head was that it was Diddy who heard it because he was the one who actually came up with sampling Juicy Fruit for Notorious Big's. Uh, oh yeah. He produced that. He produced that track. I mean, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not even saying it. They did. But, you know, when you're a young person, because I was like 19, it could have been 19, 18 or 19, you always going to think, oh, man, somebody's stealing my stuff. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Even if that's not the case, because keep, keep in mind, Juicy Fruit, that song was not my song. It wasn't Diddy's song. It was nobody's song. It belonged to a group called, I think it was called Mute or something. Or something. So that song was had been out, you know, before I even created my name. So that song, it was already pretty much out. I just liked the song and I was like, all right, my name's Juicy J. I'm going to scratch this song. Juicy. Dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I'm, just, I, I'm, just, I'm just speaking my truth, how I felt when I was a kid. But, you know, the older I got, I was like, you know, maybe I'm just, I could have been exaggerating. I don't know. You know, I would say this, Memphis has, Memphis has a big sound. We've been making noise since the early 90s. And it's a lot of people that has, it's a lot of people that have took flows and took certain things and stuff, stuff like that, which I don't really care. You know, it's no big deal to me that to me that shit's petty, but it happened. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. started a lot of the, the the crunk music. A lot of people ran off with that. Whatever. I, I looked at things like I look at the things like in life, like if somebody is going to take some stuff from you, you're doing something good. So if somebody's going to take something from me or steal it, whatever, a style or a flow, I can make another flow. You know what I mean? I'm super talented. I can make another flow, another beat, another whatever. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, when I was but when I was young, I was like, oh, man, this nigga's stealing my shit. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, and it seems like it's such a big deal at the time because you're trying oh, yeah. so hard to get where you need to get. Yeah, yeah, um, I was trying to. Yeah, you, uh, facts, facts, and, and you know when you when you're trying to create something that you feel like is yours and it's your own, and then mm -hmm. you hear somebody do it, you know that's why I took Notorious off of my name. When I heard that, I said, "Oh, well, scratch Notorious. I'm just called Juicy J." You know what I'm saying? Right, and it all worked out. Everything happens for a reason. Yep, sure it is. <laughs> Who has been your favorite? artists to collaborate with and why? Ooh, that's a lot of people, man. Jeez. Um, Was there really? just like really magical moment that you had with another artist? You know, it's a, it's a lot of people, but I'm going to tell you something that was very, very legendary for me. When I did a song, I did a song with this guy named Lamont Dozer. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, 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 actually, actually, I did a song with him, but I did a song with Willie Hutch too. So I'll start with Willie Hutch. I did because I did a song with the legendary Willie Hutch. And we sampled a lot of Willie Hutch. And and like we sampled him. And then, you know, we started making money, getting a name for ourselves. We flew him to Memphis. And I'm sitting there looking like this is the guy that we fucking sample and listen to all the time growing up. 
Now he's mm -hmm. in the studio with us and we're creating a song together. That was the most magical moment. He told me a lot of Motown stories because they wrote a lot of, Willie Hudge wrote a lot of songs for, I think he wrote some songs for the Supremes and Donna Ross back in the day. He did a lot of work with Michael Jackson and stuff like that. So I'm just like blown away by like, yo, man, this guy's a super, super legend and he's in the studio with me. And um, he was so like, so musical talented, you know, he, he came to us, he said, hey man, he was listening to the beat. We had made this beat. He's like, what key you in? And we used to sampling. We don't, you know, we're not all that keys and all that. We like key. Like, nah, nigga, we just, <laughs> we just sample, man. We don't be doing all the keys and like, the, you know, we're not really, you know, into the keys. You know, we, we mess around with the keyboard. We weren't, weren't so like musical. Like we know exactly what key. We just played what we felt like sounded good. We didn't really worry about the keys and stuff. But that's just amazing to see how he, he was like, you know, trying to compose and help produce the song. And then we had these females in the in the booth, and he was like, "Oh, y'all not singing correctly." Go, ah, he, he was doing all that little, right, right, right. you know what I'm saying? Keeping them in, keeping them in key with the song, and it was just amazing to see how he worked. I was like, "Wow, this guy's," a, this guy, you know what I'm saying? And he was like an old school guy, he, you know. He was retired pretty much, but he was still on his shit. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. He was by the keyboard playing the piano and stuff. I was like, "All right." Yeah, I'm sorry, what you say? There was a second person before you went to him. There was a second person. Lamar Doza. Lamar Doza wrote, oh my God, God wrote everything. He wrote, uh, stop in the name of love before you break my heart. All those Motown hits. And so um, I got a chance to work with him too. And he was the same way. You know, he's super talented and uh, cool as fuck. He told me a lot of Motown stories about him and David Ruffin and Marvin Gaye. Stuff that oh, nobody right. ever heard before. You know, he told me they used to get high together and shit like that. He told me all kind of shit, the drugs they did. I was like, I was like blown away. I was like, wow. Like, man. That legends. is personal. Yeah. yeah. So what have you mastered in this life and what remains a work in progress for you? I'm going to start with my work, my work in progress. My work in progress is my kids, making sure they go to school, making sure they get a great education, make sure they're smart and respectful to people. And, um, you know, just grow up and, um, Following their dad's footsteps, you know, take over the, the, the family business, you know what I'm saying? The wealth. Uh, I'll, do, I'll do whatever they want to do. They don't have to be in music. You know, I'm going to push my kids to do anything. Just be great kids, you know what I'm saying? Be great people in life, you know? And what was the other question? And what do you feel you've mastered in this life? What do I feel I've mastered? I feel like I don't lie. I feel like I've mastered everything in music. I feel like I could do any kind of music. I could do pop music. I could do Spanish. I could do, you know, Latin. I could do whatever. I could do uh, Afro beats, you know, I could produce anything. And mm -hmm. in the beginning of my career, I always wanted to expand my production. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't like to do, I can't do the same thing. I'm not the type of artist, same snare, same, I can't, yeah. I go crazy if I did the same thing. So I've always tried to elevate myself as an artist, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, I think I've done it great. Now I can go in the studio and do whatever I want to do. So I've mastered that to the T. Like I can make a song of like this. I could, we could be on the phone. Second, second nature, like breathing. Yeah, it's it's nothing. You know, I do it in my sleep. Like this stuff is, it's like, it just comes to me. It's easy. You know what I'm saying? Are you producing for anyone now or working on any project now that you could talk about? Yes, I'm executive producing Todd Dollarside's new album. It's, it's amazing. I'm executive producing and I'm producing some tracks on there. And um, Meg Thee Stallion, um, I got an album with uh, this guy named uh, Xavier Wolf, a rapper out of Memphis. He's super talented. We got an album called Memphis Zoo. And um, I did an album with Logic. Logic produced the whole album, and I just did the lyrics, and uh, it's crazy. Okay. And if you could travel back in time and change any famous historical event, 
where would you go and what would you attempt to change? Hmm, if I could change a few things, I probably would, um, it's a couple of contracts I might want to sign too quick because we was very, very. Oh, okay. <laughs> historical event, but I guess that could be considered. Okay. I mean, uh, could me, uh, that, to me, that's kind of, that's historical, you know, signing historical. the contract. <laughs> historical. Hmm. I think now I don't think I would change anything as far as you want know, to think about the, 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 the accomplishments we made in like the historical, the good things, right? <laughs> you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change that. It's a few contracts I probably wouldn't have signed, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think comes after this life? Man, God, kids, man. You know what I'm saying? I got I got two beautiful kids, and uh, I'm just trying to be the best father. Um, no, after this life. Well, oh, a- oh, after we did and gone. After you're gone, yeah. What do you th- oh, What do you think comes next? Or do you? What do you- think comes? I don't know. I mean. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, let's say what what comes next with like what what my music are in this no, world. I mean, like where where do you think we go from here? Like when pe- when we when we pass, like where do what do you oh, think? Oh, that- what do we think we go from here when we pass? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I'm being I'm being with Tupac, man. We can be you know what I'm saying we can be turning up. We're gonna be up in it's, heaven. You know, it's so funny that you say that because the the way that I came up with that question about if you could change if you could go back in time and change any historical event, what would you change? is because I'm a huge Tupac fan and I've oh. watched so many documentaries about his life. And I'm like, man, I fucking wish I could go to Las Vegas that night and like just make him stay in his hotel room or like make him not get into that fight in the lobby of the MGM Grand or like somehow keep him from getting killed. You know, like I, I was like thinking about that over and over and over again. I'm like, and that's what got me into that question. Like if you could go oh, back okay. and any historical event. Where would you go? But then I think, well, maybe he was meant to leave after 25 years. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Hey, if I could change like something like that, I probably would told, I'd probably go back to the 60s and tell Martin Luther King, do not stay in the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis. Matter of fact, don't come to Memphis at all, bro. Because Memphis is crazy. You know what I'm saying? They, 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 they nuts. So I definitely would told him that. Good one. Good one. And my last question is, what do you think you came here to learn and what do you think you came here to teach? Well, I would say definitely I came here to uh, learn as far as like my talent, my musical talent. And as far as my teaching is like um, helping others, you know what I'm saying? Helping others to elevate and uh, inspire others and try to try to help people stay out of trouble, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I do a lot of times. I talk to a lot of young artists, and a lot of young people and they be asking me, man, how'd you manage to do this? And how'd you manage you know what I'm saying? It, nothing's easy. You know what I'm saying? Nothing's easy. Just, you know, it's at all. Oh, take care of your mental health. Take care of that. Take care of that mental health. That's the first thing we need to, we need to start. And I talk about this in my book a lot. You got to get that mental health right. Because see, we all go through trauma and dramatic, all kind of situations in our life as a kid growing up. And it affects us as adults. You know, so, um, you know, pray a lot. Hey, talk to a therapist. I got one. Nothing wrong with that. And just try to, you know, Stay focused, and and it's not about the money, and it's not about the fame. It's, you'll get, you know, if you're trying to get that, you'll get what you're trying to get. But it's about this. If you got a clear head, I think you can accomplish anything in life. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for a great interview. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. 
So what do you guys think? I really hope that if you are a fan of Juicy's that I did a good job for you guys and that you liked the interview. And if you don't know or if you didn't know that much about him, I hope that now you feel like you do know him and you want to learn more about him and his career. You can follow him on Instagram at JuicyJ. And please let me know what you thought of this episode. Drop me a comment. Drop me a DM. You can find me on Instagram at the Allison Kugel and pick up a copy of Chronicles of the Juice Man. It's out on September 5th, and you guys will love this book. All right, I'll catch you on the next go-around. Peace.